This episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast is presented by Sling TV. Sling TV offers many Premier League matches as well as Copa Libertadores and Liga, so you can catch the major games from those leagues and competitions and much more at Sling TV. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast. My name is Christopher Harris. I'm joined today by my co-host Kartik Krishnayer. Uh, it's something we haven't done before, Kartik. As far as I know, in the 17 years that we've been doing this podcast, we've talked about pro- uh, promotion and relegation now and again, but uh, we've never covered it in detail. And I don't think we've had a, a special episode specifically focused on it where we get to share uh, our opinions, our individual opinions, which which they may not uh, be on the same page. We'll, we, we will find out shortly. And and I think a lot of this, too, to be honest with you, Kartik, is is Wrexham. I mean, Wrexham has really brought this topic back into the limelight. So uh, in articles and research that we've done in the past, uh, promotion relegation would come up probably once every couple of years. Uh, oftentimes when um, Don Garber, Major League Soccer, would have a kind of a, uh, a press conference and, and a reporter would ask, ever since the league has started. So promotion relegation, what's the possibility of that? And oftentimes, well, actually, Don Garber would have different different answers to that question. Some, oftentimes it would be, yeah, not right now, but uh, maybe about 10 years from now. And then people would ask a couple of years later, and it would change to, yeah, it, yeah, we're looking at it, we're thinking about it, or or not, not yet. Now it seems to be, yeah, it's never going to happen. However... You mean things can change? So, so let's let's talk about this, Kartik. Um, the first question I, I, I want to take it from from a different perspective is, as someone as yourself who has been in, in this game for your whole, you mean your whole professional career, uh, both as a fan, both as a press officer, as a writer, as a podcaster. If you were to look at uh, promotion and relegation, what are the benefits of not having it? In the United States, I, I suppose the benefits of not having it are you have a stable first division with clubs that are um, permanently guaranteed that they will remain in that first division, and therefore uh, can. Um, I, I suppose you know the theory is that th- therefore they can play more young players and they can risk a bad season as a result in order to develop those players uh, and they can uh, embark on longer term marketing strategies because they know they will always be in major league soccer they will always be in the first division I, I suppose that's the benefit and and that they are able to attract investment from uh, potential in, uh, 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 investors people who want to own clubs who want to co-own clubs who know that their club will always be in the first division so that's um i guess that's the benefit that, or so i'm told right um or so i'm I, I i people tell me every time this uh this discussion comes up that those are the benefits i mean the player development argument is interesting because i think one of the and we'll get into this deeper in the podcast one of the reasons why uh, proponents of promotion and relegation, one of the reasons they are in favor of it is because of player development. But uh, those who defend the closed system and uh, and not having promotion and relegation 
in the United States have actually used the player development argument as well and said, okay, if you're, um, and maybe you can relate to this, Chris, because you, you're a Swansea City supporter and you were relegated from the Premier League a few years ago um, and then had a number of young players you had in the championship that you played and were basically selling a player every window. So maybe you can relate to the argument they make, which is, hey, uh, if you're a team fighting relegation, you can't play young players, right? You have to play veteran players to try and stay up. I'm not sure that's absolutely true all the time but uh, you know maybe an example like Southampton this year will be used by uh, proponents of the of the closed system because Southampton is an excessively young team outside of James Ward Prowse and uh, they're going to get relegated yeah so what what a uh, closed league does provide is stability and and a lot of that is uh, financial stability knowing that that club in theory, is probably going to be around a very long time, uh, no matter how good or how bad the, re- the results are. So if you look at, say, um, Atlanta United, I mean, you could imagine that club being in the Division One in soccer in the U.S. for you know, decades, right? It, unless unless something tragic happened. <laughs> but uh, there's, there's that stability where, with promotion and relegation, a system like that, there's no guaranteed stability uh, however, that comes at a price, though, because in the United States, um, a lot of people would say, okay, well, the, because we don't have promotion relegation, um, that has uh, given us a lot of stability. But, but you, Kartik, you know this better than anyone. How many clubs have we lost in the United States, just roughly? Um, because there was no promotion relegation because clubs oh, I, I mean, down. It's, uh, I can't count. It's, it's such a high number. The fail rate in the United States is much higher for professional clubs than in any other hundreds, uh, industrialized right? nation. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hundreds. And so I'm going to give you a quote from Don Garber. This is Don Garber's justification. Um, and he took a cheap shot at a specific club, one of the most successful professional clubs in this country. He said this in 2015, Chris. If you're, quote, if you're investing billions and billions of dollars, which we now are about $3.5 billion invested in 20 years to build something in Kansas City and they have a shitty season to think they might be playing in Chattanooga in a stadium of 4,000 people on a crappy field with no fans makes no sense. That was Don Garber's attitude and his justification. Now, of course, uh, Chattanooga uh, has a stadium uh, which is impeccable and uh, they have more than 4,000 fans at most games. But uh, he said it to illustrate the point. Uh, He picked Chattanooga for some specific reason. But that is the attitude of the people who oppose promotion and relegation. So let the audience, uh, let that quote sink in. Yeah, and, and then going back to your point about uh, player development, I, I get that. You mean, if, if so if you're a team like Atlanta United, again, as, as the same example as before, is you can play a lot of the kids. You can play a lot of the, uh, the, the academy te- uh, players coming up through the system. And, you mean, if you have a, a bad season and you finish last... Um, there's no accountability. There's no. There's no uh, punishment for that. But having said that, Kartik, you mentioned too that you said, okay, my club, Swansea City. I mean, so yes, we were in the Premier League for seven years. Uh, we got relegated, and but still, in in the Championship, the league below, um, they were able to. We, we as a team were able to bring in a lot of our youth academy players and kind of bring them up through the system and play play our way to try to get out of the Championship. Um, so the, yes, with without promotion or relegation, there's less pressure. So for MLS clubs, I mean, in this example, um, there would be, would be opportunities for player development there. 
But then saying that, though, too, I mean, most of the star players now in Major League Soccer, the younger ones, are going to Europe or, you mean, Europe really, I mean, they could go to South America, too, but they're going to Europe because of the increased competitiveness because of of the the level that they're at and and also wages right player wages they can make more money uh they're gonna play maybe in the champions league they're gonna play at a higher level and we'll get into that into maybe why some of those reasons why why they're further ahead than the united states so um yeah it's um so any other benefits you can think of of being anti-pro rel in the u.s kartik I suppose the other argument is that you have a situation where um, uh, you're you're able to create a geographic footprint, uh, which is representative of the entire country uh, and and uh, have a certain number of teams in each region and have that kind of fixed. Uh, because uh, the an argument that's been given back to me about Germany specifically is that Germany has virtually no teams from the former East Germany in the top flight, and it took Red Bull going in and 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 kind of stretching the rules that that exist in German football to to buy a, a, the license of a club in Leipzig and build them up and make them a first division team, and and, and uh, Union Berlin has been in the top flight the last few years, so that that's the first time in their history, and that's a, a second example. But generally, the teams that are in the top flight in Germany are, are concentrated in in the Ruhr Valley and the Rhine area, right? Uh, Dusseldorf, uh, Cologne, uh, Dortmund, that area, and uh, in Bavaria. Right with 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 uh, usually a team from Hamburg, which we haven't had for several years, and and a team from Frankfurt. So uh, Frankfurt Mainz, right that area. Frankfurt Mainz, Wiesbaden, that area. So that's the other argument that's been given to me is that hey, uh, look at Germany. Um, you look at a map of Germany, and there's whole uh, whole barren spaces without first division clubs. That can never happen in the United States. Now, in fact, it did happen for a while. <laughs> if you remember when MLS didn't have a team in the southeast, and then Orlando City was uh, uh, became. A, 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 a was brought up to MLS. They had been a USL club, uh, and then there's been a chain reaction since, right? Several others, but um, so it's not actually true. But that argument has been given to me, so I'm uh, reflecting that uh, on our podcast. Yeah, and, and this this podcast episode is, is uh, as we're doing right now, meant to be kind of a just a uh, intelligent conversation debate about promotion relegation. And we're starting out talking about the positives. Uh, we'll talk about the negatives, uh, vice versa. And and I think one of the other things that I, I would want to add too about the advantages or benefits of not having promotion relegation is that it is a safer bet for the the business owners and the business owners are billionaires uh who are buying a franchise um they are would be a part owner in the sing, single entity system in, in major league soccer where there is again that st- stability there is that uh, uh it's a safer bet knowing that you I mean they buy an expansion team for i mean 200 to 300 million dollars um that investment should grow over time and uh, they will be able to benefit from that financially. So uh, as opposed to perhaps uh, investing in a club in Europe, um, there are many risks, risks, but there's also many rewards. It, it, is, uh, it is something completely different. So if you're a conservative uh, investor, business billionaire who wants to buy a sports team, uh, maybe use a lot of that for tax write-offs, um, you know, other opportunities, financially, 
it may, so for some, it may make sense to to invest in in, uh, in MLS if you're a billionaire. So Kartik, uh what about? Um, I think so. Let's flip now. So that those are some of the positives of not having promotion and relegation, uh, and what the U.S. offers. And um, I think I think going back to Major League Soccer, and this is not meant to be kind of a uh, anti MLS uh, podcaster by any means. I mean, for me personally, I, I think that, uh, I mean, MLS, I'd love to see the league continue to be in existence. I don't want the MLS to go away. Uh, there's a lot of benefits of, of MLS. I'm, I'm watching more MLS now uh, probably than ever before because of MLS season pass. I see some of it of its benefits. I see some of its weaknesses. But the argument against promotion relegation in the U.S., at least in the, begin- the, the uh, beginning of MLS when it first started, uh, in 1996, was that the league needed a solid foundation, so it offered low risk to the investors. But now that the league is 27 years old, I, I think that MLS doesn't need the training wheels any longer. However, the training wheels are still on, and, and now those wheels have become a selling point for investors. Or maybe that was the plan all along. What do you think, Kartik? Is, is that something that uh, from day one they were like, okay, this is going to be single entity. There's going to be no promotion relegation. Uh, we are going to generate uh, massive wealth for our billionaires. And we're, we're going to create a system that's very much like the NFL. Uh, and we're going to model it after that. And it's going to be a big success. Or, or was it something that uh, as time went on, it became actually an advantage. They were like, hey, yeah, we're, de- we're definitely not going to do a pro rel because we've seen the benefits of not having it uh, for our billionaires. I'm not really sure. I go back and forth on this. I think there were some in MLS who thought the closed league, the um, single entity was a temporary measure. Uh, and uh, they did a good job of convincing some of us that it was a temporary measure and that they would eventually open up. However, there probably were others who said this is the way to do things. This is the uh, this is the new um, the new the, the new way forward for uh, the sport for sport in general, not just uh, the sport of football or soccer uh, in the, not just the United States, but globally. There are people who are pro MLS who constantly tell me pro rel is going to go away in Europe at some point, um, which. Um, Look, I mean, I, I, we could just, again, use the example of Germany since uh, um, uh, uh, there are MLS people who uh, pro-MLS people who have told me, oh, well, Germany, it's not representative of the entire country, which, by the way, I think is a valid argument. I, I, when I gave that argument, I should have said I think it is a valid argument. I, for a long time, have complained about the kind of um, – because Germany has a member-based system, right? Uh, this is a whole diff- – this is probably a different podcast, but I'll just say it real quickly so people understand. They have a member-based system where – uh, certain clubs have more members than other, others, therefore they have more uh, more money. Uh, Bayern, Borussia Dortmund, Eintracht Frankfurt being, I think, and Schalke being the clubs with the most members, I believe. Um, so those clubs are always going to be in more economically prosperous areas. Therefore, less economically prosperous areas in the German system specifically, this isn't uh, uniform worldwide, but in the German system specifically, have a more difficult time 
climbing the ranks of, 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 of the football pyramid in Germany. So that, that argument that MLS people may make is somewhat valid. Uh, however, the, the argument that they, that they have made to me directly that, that a single entity is, uh, is something that the rest of the world wants, the closed system, that there are leagues that get in contact with MLS all the time and are asking, hey, how can we restructure our leagues? How can we restructure football in our country to reflect yours, I think is nonsense. With the exception of Mexico, who has commercially tied itself so strongly to the U.S. that they have messed around with the promotion and relegation system uh, in Mexico. And in fact, they have a division now uh, in Mexico that is a professional division of clubs that have been relegated that now can't get promoted for a certain number of years. So, um, but throwing the example of Mexico out, no, I don't think that, that this is single entity. These things are something that the rest of the world is looking at. Was it something that MLS intended to be a permanent structure? I really don't know, honestly. So I'm going to ask you uh, a, a two-part question. So I want to get your your views, your opinions on the record, and I'll share mine in a couple of minutes too. But uh, what's your opinion about a promotion relegation from a global perspective in terms of just the sport of soccer? And then the second part of the question is, what's your opinion about promotion relegation in the United States? And you mean, is it possible? Could you foresee it happening? Uh, what's your opinion about whether or not it has much uh, worthiness in, in this country specifically? So uh, to answer the first question, it's great. It's it's wonderful. It is what uh, – look, I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast and, and watch football or soccer. They're interested in Arsenal and Man City and, and Juventus and, 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 and Milan, the Milan clubs. Uh, I am too. I mean I'm historically a Man City fan, but I'm much more interested even this week in watching Everton, watching Bournemouth, watching uh, Nottingham Forest. And same thing, you know, I, I followed the championship. I We were recording this on Friday. I was on talk sport last night talking about the championship and the promotion playoff race uh, in the championship, not talking about Arsenal or, or Chelsea or Man City. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm driven by pro rep um, globally. In terms of the U.S., um, I, I absolutely I'm – I'm a strong advocate for it. I'm on the record as being an advocate for it. I have to say I feel in 2023 we're further away from it than we were in 2013 because of MLS's expansion, because of the number of um, second division markets or even um, – in the case of Nashville, uh, Nashville didn't have a second division team. They had a supporter-owned team uh, in NPSL, in, in what is a, effectively the fourth division, adult amateur, that eventually became an MLS club. Um, because of the first division uh, and their uh, predatory behavior of poaching clubs from the lower divisions, taking all of the markets that would be potential lower division markets where you could do an up and down uh, on the pro level. Now, I do think similarly, uh, you do have the opportunity, and this is something I, I, uh, I, I stress as it, it, part of the U.S. system. I think you have to have a whole overall reform. So one of the things you have to do is I think the idea of national leagues and uh, national lower divisions is insane uh, in a country this big uh, where uh, travel costs and just costs in general are more expensive, as Mercator pointed out. In, in, in the comment uh, uh, he sent us last week. Um, so I do think eventually you could have pro-rel within the division structures in, at a regional level. Um, I think you could have pro-rel at, at the national level, but I just think we're, we're further away from it than we were 10 years ago. Um, 
a lot of plans out there, but the single entity issue of MLS and winding it up is a problem, um, and it will take time. So last point I'll make on this, Kyle Martino, when he was running for USSF president, put out a plan that was realistic, which talked about, okay, remember it was 2018 he was running, uh, we will start unwinding single entity by 2023, 2024, we can put full pro-rel in place by 2030. And most of the pro-rel advocates I knew were angry about it, like, oh, why is he saying it'll take 12 years, it should happen tomorrow, he's selling out, blah, blah, blah. His plan was the only realistic plan forward, and yes, it would take, because of all these contractual agreements and the the, the business structure of, of Major League Soccer, which is a single entity, USL, which is the second division, is a franchise-based league, so those are two fundamentally very different concepts. Um, it would take 10 to 12 years to unwind everything and rebuild it. And now we're five years on from when Kyle Martino proposed that, and we've gone nowhere. So you know you can just add five more years to the clock, basically, from that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good points there, Kartik. Uh, and, and also in terms of Kyle Martino's uh, forward thinking, and at the time, I mean, imagine, imagine if he did win that uh, uh, USSF presidency, how different things might be. I mean, but... Uh, yeah, that's one of the reasons too that uh, we supported him. We, we thought, okay, this is something that actually can change um, and, and improve the sport in this country. So, for, so for me personally, in terms of promotion relegation, I am a supporter of it. Uh, the whole concept, I think, is one of the main reasons why I'm a such a mad, passionate soccer fan. Have been all my life. It's my full time job. It's my career. Um, if I didn't have promotion relegation, I think I think something it wouldn't be the same. And for my team, my team, out of all of the games, all, you know, thousands of games I've seen over my lifetime, uh, whether it's uh, in person or, or mostly on streaming or television, uh, the biggest game of my lifetime, the one that that was my favorite game of all time, was a game that was um, Swansea City when they got promoted to what was then uh, the first division, what is now the Premier League. And that very first game of the season where they played, at the time, the mighty Leeds United. And that game when Swansea won 5-1. Uh, and to me, I have so many memories. I will watch that game over and over. But for me, on a personal story, seeing my team get promoted from the fourth division, which is now League Two, but from the fourth to the third to the second, spend two seasons in the second, and then get promoted to the, to the Premier League. Also, in addition to that, too, seeing Swansea uh, when they were in the championship and uh, getting promoted to the Premier League and those those seven years and then getting relegated. Now, the relegation, I, I, I will admit, was depressing. It was uh, it, it definitely affected me. But but to me, I, I'm OK with that because, I mean, I think to me, at the end of the day, it's reality. If your team is not good enough to stay up in the top division, then you suffer the consequences. And Swansea now have been down uh, in the championship for many, many years. It'll probably be a few more years before they go back up uh, at, at, at the least. But but for me, I'm OK with that because I'm like, OK, based on the results, we are where we deserve to be rather than we're in a top league where... Maybe we're bottom of the league, maybe we're middle, whatever it may be. But when there's no accountability, um, it, it's weird. So, so that so that's that's kind of from a global perspective, and not just Swansea, but just just. I mean, oftentimes I'm tuning in, like like Kartik, I'm tuning in. Like to me, the biggest game this week on television to me was Nottingham Forest against Brighton, and Forest winning that game, and how that changes 
the relegation battle at the bottom of, of the Premier League. Or it was also Sheffield United getting promoted uh, this week, or, or Burnley last week, or Ipswich Town uh, looking looking good uh, to get promoted. Luton Town with such a small stadium with chances to get promoted. Um, that to me is the most exciting thing. And, and, and honestly, I was watching the Man City against Arsenal game but on, on one TV. But on the other TVs, I was just as enthralled by the other games happening at the same time. So watching Brighton against Nottingham Forest or, or watching uh, West Ham against Liverpool, seeing what would happen in those games because it had a, a dr- dramatic impact on, on the relegation. And then on Thursday, watching uh, Bournemouth against Southampton, uh, at the same time as watching Manchester United against Spurs, I was watching Bournemouth and Southampton more closely than I was Man United against Spurs. And, and yes, Man United and Spurs and Man City and Arsenal have way more fans than those other teams. But for me, I'm I'm personally invested in seeing excitement. I'm I'm not invested in any team in the Premier League, but I'm as a neutral, as a fan, uh, I'm watching it for the entertainment perspective. And when you add that that relegation promotion uh, angle to it, it, it changes things completely. It changes games. It makes it exciting. Um, and oftentimes I've, I've seen a lot of MLS um, reporters and journalists and media people say like, well, nobody's going to watch uh, like a, a Southampton against Bournemouth game or nobody's going to watch a relegation battle. That's crazy. And the reality is, we, and we've seen from the TV viewing numbers, a lot of people tune into those games. Yes, sure. Man City against Arsenal will, will get record numbers. And I mean, those will get big numbers. But there's a lot of people like myself like you, Kartik, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners too, that are enthralled by the relegation battle. Yeah, now, look at Spain right now with Valencia. That was a, they played yesterday. Yeah, yeah. So that's another example, right? You have big clubs. So this is a foreign concept, right? To Chris, Chris to a lot of MLS fans, you have big clubs like Valencia, uh, and Sevilla was was struggling for much of this season. You have big clubs like that, Everton, uh, etc., fighting relegation. That's a story in itself. That's the kind of story you don't have in this country. Yeah, and you see on the, those people's faces, right? The fans in the stadium are just stunned. You, you, you know, you're, you're feeling, you're like, okay, they know that they're probably going to get relegated. They've come to terms with it. And you see the look of fear and just, just the staring off into distance. Um, and you feel for them. But, I mean, I've gone through the same thing too. But those clubs that do get relegated have an opportunity to improve their team, improve the structure of the club. And to come back into the Premier League, I mean, again, it's a survival of the fittest. Um, to me, I, you know, it's almost like human life, right? It's like if you work hard, uh, usually for the most part, you will see the benefits of that. But so, so, so that's promotion and relegation kind of a, as a general. For the United States, I've come to terms with, uh, in my belief, that MLS will never have promotion and relegation. And that is okay. So that is okay in terms of, you I mean, MLS would fight it. So if U.S. soccer, you I mean, in the, the the example you mentioned with Carl Martina running for presidency of U.S. soccer, not winning, but if he did, did win, you can I can guarantee that if there was a push from U.S. soccer to go ahead, and, or maybe from FIFA, that wouldn't happen right now. But whether it's FIFA or U.S. soccer to change the system in the United States and to bring in promotion relegation, I can guarantee you that MLS lawyers would be getting the lawyers involved and going to court and, and fighting it and spending millions to fight that to, to stop that from happening. 
So I, I'm okay. I mean, to me, I, I would like to see promotion and relegation in MLS. It would make it more exciting. Uh, but to me, I, I've come to the realization that I think promotion and relegation is not possible within, within MLS. Uh, however, I would be interested to see whether or not it can be established through the rest of uh, the American soccer leagues and, and U.S. soccer taking a more active role uh, with you mean, the way the pyramid is structured is trying to figure out a way, whether it's regional leagues, setting up a system that would be with promotion and relegation opportunities for clubs to move up and down the ladder uh, on a regional basis. And, and maybe there's some type of national competition also thrown in there. Oh, but but the question I have for you, Kartik, is that um, can, can, could promotion and relegation be successful in the U.S. for leagues such as the USL, NISA, etc., if it doesn't include MLS? I, I think it could be, but uh, it can't happen until the pro league standards. I, I keep stressing this point on social media and in articles I write, and I think so many people can't get their heads around it. I bring up the pro league standards, and then they're still having the same discussion we've had the last 25 minutes or so on, on the merits of pro rel. Uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation has something called the pro league standards, which I believe is an anti-competitive uh, effort to prevent uh, pro rel to prevent uh, any sort of national league from challenging. MLS or, 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 and prevents regional leagues and also makes it very clear that there has to be certain net worth requirements for ownership, uh, certain market size requirements of, 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 of quote markets, metropolitan areas where teams exist for them to be in certain divisions, which is absurd. Now, just think about that in terms of, of the competitive landscape around the world. Uh, think about that in terms of uh, 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 disenfranchising certain communities, uh, disenfranchising supporters who, who might want to own a club. Detroit City and Chattanooga FC had to go through certain restructuring uh, in order to become professional clubs. Uh, Nashville did too, actually. I mentioned Nashville. They're in MLS now, so we tend to forget that they have have a similar origin story to, to Detroit uh, in that they were a supporter-run club and they were in the adult amateur league and then they had to they had to get an angel investor and that and then that kind of compromised some of it and then to move to USL to begin with and then to move from USL to MLS further changes. Um, so that's the problem is that the United States Soccer Federation, you, you said, Chris, you want them to be a partner in this. Not only are they not facilitating the discussion – uh, not only are they not taking a laissez-faire approach and letting whatever happens organically potentially happen, because this could happen organically, right? USL or NISA um, both have stated uh, at various times their intentions to uh, to, 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 to have a, a promotion and relegation system. NISA, in fact, um, has a comp- competition that they, they sponsor that involves professional teams playing amateur teams kind of as a showcase for what might potentially happen within their own structure. It's called the Independent Cup. Um, um, but uh, it cannot happen because U.S. soccer is actively obstructing it from happening. So not only are they not facilitating it, not only are they not just taking a hands-off approach and saying, hey, we're, we're out of this, USL, you figure it out, uh, NISA, you figure it out. They are impeding the progress. So a couple of years ago, Alexi Lawless made the very controversial statement on Twitter, build a better mousetrap. And um, if you guys really don't like MLS and you want ProRail, build a better mousetrap. And I was offended by it at the time and pushed back. Several years later, I realized Alexi was right. We can build a better mousetrap, and it doesn't have to involve MLS. But 
it can't be done with the current pro league standards in place. And by the way, who is the person who is on the USSF uh, pro league committee that uh, governs and, 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 and discusses these pro league standards and, and, and formulates them? Don Garber. Right, right. Yeah, and I, I, I think it's easy for, for uh, Alexei to say build a better mousetrap because it's taking kind of the onus off off himself and off Major League Soccer and off the current system and, and saying to everyone else, like, well, go ahead and build it. But the, the reality is, like you said to Kartik, is that within U.S. soccer, the, the, the pro league standards are very restrictive in terms of you have to have a, uh, a market size of this. You have to have this much money invested. You have to have, jump through all these hoops and hurdles to even be, be able to establish um, uh, different leagues or different teams. Uh, there, there's a lot of handcuffs in the way. So, yeah, so... So maybe I mean I, I mean I think the reality though is that even if you had a system that U.S. soccer got involved in and said okay we're going to build a, a better pyramid in the United States and MLS is excluded from that um, it wouldn't be it'd, it'd be better than what we have now it would be more organized to be uh, less clubs going out of business but if those USL clubs know if even if they're at the top level playing really well getting good crowds. Um, there's no automatic entry into Major League Soccer. Now, MLS could look at those clubs and go, hey, that market, uh, Tampa Bay Rowdies, as, as a hypothetical example, um, that's a market that's primed for MLS. So they could have discussions and try to bring them in. Uh, you'd have to spend like, what, $300 million uh, to get the expansion team to get into there. So I, I don't think it's it's a perfect solution, but I just don't see unless U.S. soccer or FIFA is ready to go ahead and because uh, I mean look at almost every single country in the entire world has promotion and relegation, and that's one of the the FIFA standards is a system of promotion relegation and sporting merit. Uh, that that's what they stand on, except the United States and, and I think a, a small few other countries in in this globe. I mean Mexico included. So, but Kartik, I have to ask you a question too, because I thought about this too. And I thought, okay, what if promotion and relegation didn't exist for any of our favorite leagues? Um, so whether it's, you mean, it's the Premier League or it's uh, La Liga, Serie A, Bundesliga, you mean, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, if promotion and relegation did not exist, would you be as much of a soccer fan as you are now? Absolutely not. No chance. Right. Same here. Same here. Because, I mean, you, you, if, if there was, a, I mean, if every league was single entity and every league was the club stayed the same, except for now and again, maybe there'd be a club that would be added, uh, you mean, or a club would go out of business for whatever reasons. Um, it would be boring. <laughs> it's quite frankly, it's just, a, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but I want to make this point. It's quite frankly the reason I don't watch American professional sports. Because it's not that I, I couldn't watch a basketball game. Well, I watch college basketball, so that, that kind of tells you uh, my view of that sport. Uh, but I, it's not that I can't watch an NBA game and, and, and not be entertained. It's that I don't understand it. Uh, it, it to me, it's, not, it's, not, it's without merit if it's a closed league and it's the same teams every year. Same thing with uh, uh, NFL. I don't 
don't like American football, but let's say I did. I did it one time. I, I and and Major League Baseball, same thing. So I uh, I have actually stopped watching American professional sports because they don't have promotion relegation. They don't have any system that allows uh, uh, organically built clubs uh, or, or teams or whatever they would call them in those sports uh, to, to rise up the ranks. They have no mechanism for smaller communities to compete. You know, you have to be in New York or L.A. or whatever big city, Chicago, uh, Miami, etc. So I, I, uh, I, I just have no interest in those sports, and I would have probably have no interest in this sport if it were structured the way MLS is around the world. Yeah, you look at Brentford this season, right? I mean, yeah. Brentford last season. I mean, just a, a, a club that was in the championship <laughs> that tried to get up through the championship, uh, lost in the championship playoffs semifinals a few years ago, uh, came back again, kept on trying, playing good football, really well organized, um, moved to a new stadium, got promoted to the Premier League, and uh, they've been one of the su- success stories. I understand this for a minute, listeners out there who are uh, who believe in market size and just having big clubs. Chelsea is one of the biggest clubs in the world. It's one of the most recognizable clubs in the world. Brentford is in the same neighborhood as they are. Brentford was out of the top flight for 74 years. They were in the lower divisions for 74 years. As we record this podcast today, they are eight points ahead of Chelsea uh, in the Premier League. They have beaten them at uh, Stamford Bridge the last two seasons. That is incredible for those supporters. That is incredible for West London. It is an unbelievable story. It is one of the big stories in football that hasn't been talked about enough. And that's what promotion and relegation gives you. It brings you community. It brings you the opportunity. It it brings you the, the things that you do not get in the system over here. Yeah, and you look at uh, Newcastle United. So Newcastle United, uh, when they were in the Premier League, say, say go back like five, six years, um, they were a team that were I mean, basically just doing enough just to get by, barely, barely basically really not a lot of um, motivation by the, the club owner to invest and, and to help grow that team. Uh, I, I'm sure his goal was looking for that long-term sale to... I mean, somebody that would come in and buy the club for a lot more than what he paid for it and sell it on. But but my point is with Newcastle, Newcastle played in the championship, right? They got relegated to the championship. They weren't very good in the Premier League when they went went down. Um, and there's been plenty of – and they bounced back. And now, of course, in terms of going into the championship, kind of getting players out, players in, they've gotten better. And then now they have a new owner, and now they're at the top three. But but there's many clubs though too. I I, I don't want to name a lot of them, but there's been a lot, a lot of clubs too that've gotten gotten promoted to the Premier League and then get relegated, deservedly so. You I mean they weren't good enough? Uh, the results weren't good enough. They were just too disorganized, um, and they went down. So the, there's that constant uh, recycling or re- refreshing of teams. Good teams coming up through the system, uh, trying to fight with the big boys. Brentford, the example, right? Um, I mean, beating their, um, their their neighbors in West London, having a much smaller budget, but playing really good soccer and actually seeing them go going up the table, and other teams going down back into the championship, and sometimes lower the lower down you go. So for me, I mean, and that's just the Premier League. I mean, there's many other leagues from around the world. Um, so seeing seeing the relegation to me, yes, if you're a fan of that club, it's not fun. I've experienced it many many times. Um, but there's always that hope for the next season. And, that, and that's the biggest thing. I think the hope for the next season is something that if you do have a closed league, 
what's the hope for next season? The hope would be maybe winning that closed league. Um, but if you're a team in a, in a second division or a third division or fourth or fifth, and we look, we go back to Wrexham in that fifth division, I would argue that uh, Robin Ryan would not have bought Wrexham uh, if there was no promotion relegation. They'd be like, okay, what's the incentive here? We are going to stay in the fifth division and try to win the title in the fifth division, and that's it. But what, what's, the, what's the opportunity here? Yes, we could get relegated, but we are investing in this club because we feel that this club could be, I mean, they could go all the way to the Premier League or they could go get, get promoted and, and, and improve both on the pitch and off the pitch. And it gives the fans hope, hope that for the next season that something magical can, ha- can happen uh, and also with the risk that you could, I mean, if you don't do well, you could get relegated. So there is that risk and reward, and, and that's the part of it that, that I love. Yeah, and so if you're in a, a town like Omaha, Des Moines, Albuquerque, El Paso, uh, 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 just name them, you know, yeah, uh, uh, Colorado Springs, I, check out the story of Susualo who is a, a established Serie A club now. Maybe if you're a recent soccer fan, you don't realize that they're from a sm- really small town. It's not a provincial capital. One of the few uh, that have made it to Serie A that's not from uh, even a provincial capital and have, have hung for 10 years and played some great football. Deserby, I think, right now at, at Brighton, uh, really uh, helped create that, that, that image and that template for how they play. Um, check them out because you could have a, a country full of Susualos given uh, the economic Economic resources of this country and the diversity in terms of size and 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 population that you could have a club from Omaha uh, up being up there challenging for Europe or um, not European places, Concacaf places. If we had an open system, so um, in fact that's one of the clubs I like to point to, Susualo. Uh, for those of you who don't follow Serie A, uh, check them out. I would argue, Kartik, that if there was a system in the United States that that, uh, U.S. soccer came in and said, you know what, we're changing the entire system, we're having a pyramid, and we are having promotion relegation, this is the way it's set up with all the different leagues, and teams can go up and and down leagues uh, based on their sporting merit, based on number of points that they win and and they don't get, etc., I would guarantee you there would be more investment in the sport of soccer in the United States from investors, Investors would look at opportunities, say, hey, we could actually go ahead and form a club or we could go ahead and invest in a club uh, with the potential that this team could go up the system or, or down the system. Those risks and rewards that we see in Europe and we see tons of American investors buying clubs in second divisions or third divisions, etc., or, or the Premier League saying, hey, we can do a better job of, of the way that this team is performing uh, through whether it's commercial means or whether it's uh, some of our data or analytics or our expertise in how to run a club and, yes, make more money, but also improve on the pitch and give the fans a better uh, entertainment at the end of the day um, and, and a better product, so to speak, in quotation marks. Guaranteed. Yeah, I I absolutely guarantee it also. And this is a thing that's short-sighted. So um, we talked about the investment piece earlier, Chris. Uh, The proponents of the current system say, well, we're getting uh, such and such in in Nashville or or Charlotte or wherever, uh, David Tepper in Charlotte, to write a $300 million check. But you're not getting the sort of investment throughout the pyramid that you would otherwise. And we have so many American investors looking to invest in clubs in Europe. And by the way, it's not just England anymore. I would take a look at what's happening in France with more and more American investors investing in clubs there. A couple of examples in Italy too, but but France I think is a better example. Uh, 
and the championship and even League One, League Two and, and uh, the conference, as in the case of Wrexham with uh, uh, I know Ryan Reynolds is Canadian, but Rob McElhenney is American. So so the example applies. Um, those pl- people, those investors are not spending their money in the United States because of the system. I would argue you would have a lot fewer American owners and American investors in European clubs if you had an open system. So those people who, who, who point out, oh, well, you're getting $300 million from David Tepper and you're getting uh, X amount of dollars from someone in, maybe in San Diego who's going to write a check now. Uh, and the Sacramento people, they didn't have a check, so they didn't deserve to be in MLS, even though they've been the, the elite club or one of the elite clubs at the lower division level and uh, Garber has now turned his back on them. Uh, I, I would argue you would have a lot more investment. And actually, uh, you might have had investment in, in Sacramento, bigger investment in Sacramento if there was an open system. Right away, you would have had bigger investment in them. So um, I, the investment piece is really important. I'm glad you pro- pointed that out, Chris, because I don't think all of these people would be buying European clubs. Maybe they, you would still have American investment in Man United and, and, and Liverpool and Chelsea right, and Arsenal, right? Those are American-owned because those are really elite global brands. But I don't think you'd have Americans messing around with Bordeaux and Marseille and, and, and even AS Roma uh, and, and a lot of the and Burnley and all the other clubs that you've seen uh, Americans invest in, Crystal Palace, uh, Bournemouth, etc., if it wasn't for the closed system in this country. The uh, the fear has been manufactured, and what I mean by that, Kartik, is I think there's a lot of people that uh, when you bring up the the topic of promotion relegation in American soccer, there's the fear and and the instinct from a, a lot of um, journalists and a lot of uh, soccer fans is like, oh wait 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 wait, don't do that. Like like if we had promotion relegation in the U.S. system. What about the mil- the billionaires? The, the, you know those teams who go out of business. They wouldn't invest in the sport. Like what about what about them? Like what would they do? I I think they would be okay. A lot of these guys are billionaires. They have more money. <laughs> you know what I mean? So so the the, the fear is is that American professional club soccer would die if promotion and relegation happens. And and I argue it wouldn't die. If anything, it would thrive. It would be yes. It'd be a huge change. Uh, it, for many, many years in terms of kind of moving to a, a different system that was focused on sporting merit. Some of the clubs in, in the top division, the top uh, Division One soccer, would probably move down to Division Two soccer based on sporting merit, based on, on wins and losses, etc. But but the fear that American soccer would just, just crumble and just disintegrate and, and the reason that, that uh, American soccer, club soccer, is uh, is where it is today. We have to bow down and thank all the billionaires for for giving us the, these these teams. <laughs> Hon- honestly, I mean that's that's what people come. That's of, their attitude. That's yeah. their attitude. So, let, so let, to me, yeah, it, it would be a massive change. And yes, billionaire owners would have to. I mean, they'd have to. Have, they'd have some serious questions. And, and I think honestly, too. Again, going back to what I said before, uh, Major League Soccer and billionaire owners would be calling the lawyers within minutes and getting them on the phones and trying to prevent that from happening. You mean so it may not happen, but but that but that's my 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 feeling on this whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me tie up a loose end because I think I left it loose by making the player development argument at the beginning uh, for those people who are against promotion and relegation. I actually uh, myself refute that argument directly, and, and let me explain. So I believe if you have incentive for clubs that are down the pyramid to climb the pyramid. 
and you align your transfer windows properly, which involves calendar change. That's another subject for another podcast. But uh, if you do these things and allow solidarity payments and trading compensation, another thing U.S. soccer prevents, um, you will have superior player development from teams that are fighting to go up the pyramid. So in, in, even your club is an example of this, Chris. Swansea City, uh, so many good young players. Uh, just watched Dan James the other day, starting up top, strangely enough, for Fulham. Um, it came through Swansea's system, and you were able to play them in the championship and then move them on. You were trying to get promoted. You made the playoffs two straight years and in that period with a lot of these young players. You didn't get promoted. You were able to sell those guys on. That is how a proper player development system works. And so there are people who are concerned about the U.S. men's national team. There, for some reason, a lot of people, they treat the USMNT like it's a club team, right? They don't, uh, they, 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 they don't really watch club football, right? They're watching football every three months or something. Um, but for those people, I would say player development in this country will be much better if you have promotion and relegation because clubs will be in, and also solidarity payments and training compensation because smaller clubs will be incentivized to, to develop players. They will be incentivized to invest in player development. They will be incentivized to do the sorts of things in their local community that bring the top players into their club. That Those incentives do not exist in our system right now. And as a result, we are not meeting our potential as a soccer playing nation. Yeah, and I, and I think one more thing just to add to that too is that if you did have a lower league system, you had a pyramid system set up where the, even the teams would go up, up or down the table uh, nationally or, or regionally, however it's set up, but you would have uh, more clubs on, on a regional basis in, in existence uh, and with their scouting and their ability to kind of see young talent in those areas, you're more likely, I mean, for say a team in the Midwest um, in a place where it's too small to have a, a MLS team, Maybe it's too small to have a USL team too, but there could be talent in those areas that are being not noticed because the players can't afford uh, to, or the parents can't afford to put their kids into a pay-to-play system, and that and that talent is wasted because it's not it's not scouted. There's not really kind of no teams in that area. If you did have a pyramid system in place across the United States, there is a greater opportunity to have talent spotted and moving up yep. the system and being recognized and maybe go on to greater and bigger things and, and find some of those because i think right now i'm sure there's a lot of players in the united states that are just you I mean for such a, a country of, of our size i'm sure there's a lot of talent that's that's really being um that's invisible we, we don't see it because it's there but no one's actually there's no clubs in the area to actually notice that yeah, I'll give you one real clear example of that uh, from my uh, own experiences is the state of Mississippi. They don't have any professional clubs there. They've had uh, some uh, high-level Gulf Coast Premier League clubs and NPSL clubs that have discovered guys, but there were a lot of good players who fall through the cracks. Uh, now I give uh, Memphis 901, um, who's right on the border with Mississippi, uh, a lot of credit. They're a USL club. Tim Howard, actually, is one of their co-owners. Um, they've actually brought a number of, of, of those players and taken a look at a number of those players and are bringing them through their system. But um, that's, that's a really good point, Chris. And I, I, I can't stress enough what a good point you just made. All right, let's move on to listener mailbag. Uh, first up is Chris. He, uh, I think it's Chris Guadino wants to talk about lower league soccer. When it comes to U.S. Open Cup matches on CBS Sports Golasso Network, I think it is great when it comes to lower league teams in this country getting some exposure outside of select USL games on, on ESPN+. Credit to them for doing that. On a related note, I'm very surprised considering how much money they have sunk into MLS season pass that Apple didn't go to U.S. soccer 
and offer to broadcast U.S. Open Cup matches involving MLS clubs. This would have added some value to MLS Season Pass for the MLS fan, in my view, because it would have meant that the majority of matches for MLS clubs, with the exception of the CONCACAF Champions League, would be on Season Pass. Kartik. That, that, Great that's, point. Yeah. That's a fantastic point. So I can just tell you the experience of Houston. Uh, this, uh, the, uh, and I, I had been in touch with, with the organization uh, because they were playing Tampa Bay. So I had incentive. They were playing the Rowdies. So I, I was incentivized to, to want to see the match. And um, they, uh, they were hoping the game would be picked up. It wasn't. And they eventually had to pay for their own team cast, even though they were the visiting team, because their fans uh, who would – I guess a lot of them would be subscribed to Apple Season Pass. Um, didn't uh, had no other way of seeing the game and weren't going to travel to to St. Petersburg, Florida, in the middle of the week to watch the game. Right, so um, they had to they had to create their own team cast. So it actually created an extra level of burden for some MLS clubs to create uh, their own team cast if their games hadn't been picked up by Bleacher Report or CBS Colosso. So great point, Chris. Yeah, we've seen this before, Kartik, too, right? Because, uh, I mean, Major League Soccer does not run the U.S. Open Cup. It's run by uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation, which is in direct competition to MLS. MLS very much so likes to keep everything in-house, so they'll promote their own uh, coverage. All the games that they have uh, will promote MLS teams. Uh, and will, I mean, as part of uh, Soccer United Marketing, will promote, uh, I mean, the Mexican national team and anything to do under the, the umbrella where MLS and Soccer United Marketing can make money. If it's something that MLS cannot make money in, uh, they're very, uh, very seldom do they go ahead and actually promote it or do anything about it. And here's a perfect example of the US Open Cup, a great opportunity for MLS. MLS should have been on the phone to uh, Apple saying like, hey, there's an opportunity here. Chris and Kartik talked about it two weeks ago that the uh, the Miami game was not going to be televised. Uh, and, and it did come through in terms of uh, the local CBS station as well as because originally U.S. soccer was not planning on, on streaming this game. And then Golasso Network of CBS Sports stepped up and said, OK, hey, we'll go ahead and, and broadcast it, too, as well as many, many other games. Um, so they came to the rescue. But that, that's, to me, a miss, missed opportunity. Um, but I think it's on purpose. I don't think it's I think it's intentional. I, I mean, it's something that if they did show U.S. Open Cup games on MLS season pass, um, would it look would it make MLS look inferior? Probably not. But would MLS be able to uh, increase subscriptions or make money from it? Uh, unlikely. So I think it's kind of a almost like the church and state, a separation of church and state. Uh, MLS and U.S. soccer in many ways work separately. Uh, and yes, there are things that they work together on, but for the most part, they're, they're in competition against each other. Yeah, and this has been a bugaboo for for over a decade. It was, uh, I think, 11 years ago when I was the the, the communications director for the NASL that we had a a match involving uh, the Carolina Railhawks, who are now North Carolina FC, uh, hosting uh, the Los Angeles Galaxy. And I was desperate to get the match streamed or televised somewhere. Uh, And uh, U.S. soccer wasn't even sure kind of of themselves. And again, I think they have a lot of well-meaning. I've said this before about them. They have a lot of well-meaning volunteers there, but I'm not sure they're always on the ball. They weren't sure of the protocol, uh, and, and the, the match ended up being untelevised. 
yeah protocol about like who would actually how do you go about have the rights yeah how have, do you go to who, the rights holder the rights? and do it yeah right yeah what steps do you have to take to actually get permission to show the game how does that work yeah so so yeah that's 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 a big missed uh, opportunity there um all right so just a few more comments to go uh matt wants to talk about uh wrexham and Matt says, hi, Chris and Kartik, listening to the podcast right now. And I love the repeated mentions of the cycling uh, goalkeeper YouTube channel by Kartik. If anyone is curious about a great behind the scenes uh, life of a professional footballer, uh, they should go back and watch these match vlogs. He started doing goal cam vlogs during the 2020 uh, lockdown with Watford, and they continue, continued through last season. As Kartik mentioned, he was providing more punditry and analysis in the last two years before hopping back in the goal for Wrexham. I just wanted to back up Kartik's praise for a fantastic channel. P.S. Uh, thank you for the great podcast. They are a consistent listen for me while walking my Aussie castle dog around the Milwaukee area. Oh, neat. Neat. Thank you. Cool. Thanks, Matt. That's awesome. I can picture it now. <laughs> uh, Dark Matter says, uh, the fact that US fans are following Wrexham so much is opening their eyes to the game. Surely that's a good thing for MLS. Is it though, Kartik? You mean, so it, you mean, is, is that a good thing for MLS? I mean, so it brings more soccer fans in. Guarantee there's been people that they're, I'm sure, are not soccer fans. They've watched Welcome to Wrexham. I can, I can tell that anecdotally from my own family, my in laws. Uh, they are more knowledgeable and interested in soccer because of Welcome to Wrexham. Is that a good thing for MLS? I, I, I think it can be, right? In certain markets, if you have a team that's local, and you say, "Hey, let's go to the soccer game tonight." You mean whoever's playing? Let's let's go. Let's get some tickets. Let's go to that game. And that, that, that on a, on a smaller level, kind of a local level. Nationally, I think it's 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 <laughs> it's horrible, right? It, it, it's I mean, uh, I mean, probably the reason we're doing this podcast is a lot of it is because of what's happened with Wrexham. That that's that's a a key thing where there's a lot of people that are talking about promotion and relegation more than ever before. Uh, a lot of our readers and a lot of the listeners, you guys have been asking us about it. You've been asking us on, on worldsoccertalk.com what our opinions are about promotion and relegation because we haven't really put it out there on the record. We've talked about it in bits and pieces over the years, but have never really kind of come out and said, okay, here's our feelings about it. So surely that's a good thing for MLS? I, I don't think so. I think it, 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 it questions MLS. It questions a lot of fans. Um, yes, there were, will be more soccer fans in this country, I think, as a result of what Wrexham is doing. Um, but MLS will look at that and go, okay, are those fans buying uh, tickets to games? Are they buying MLS season pass? Or are they actually you mean, moving their kind of loyalties away from their favorite MLS team and actually now uh, spending more money on teams overseas, perhaps? But that's a great question, Doc Matter. Wild Stallion says, with Wrexham going to, D to Division 4, League 2, do you think they might sign players from MLS or USL, Kartik? 
Yeah, I think they might. I think there's a good chance. We've had a couple of USL players move uh, to lower division clubs uh, in England in recent years. In fact, there's a very famous one. It's not recent years, but um, uh, a few years back, a guy named Glenn Murray, who I think most most folks listening to this podcast probably have heard of, uh, uh, was famously at Crystal Palace in Brighton, among other clubs, uh, actually played in USL and then moved over. He's English, but he he, he, uh, played in USL and then moved uh, over to... uh, to, to the lower divisions in England. Uh, I think it's, it's very possible. I, 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 I think the other thing we are seeing more and more of is really good scouting of the lower divisions in the U.S. And this is something that uh, started with David Moyes. I want to give him credit. He was scouting USL in the late 2000s, uh, 2007, 2008 time period, when uh, I think most people in the U.S. only thought MLS, thought MLS was the only league that existed. Um, and he, he, he picked a couple players that didn't quite make the first team, but brought them over uh, to, to Everton. And uh, we've seen more and more of that uh, since. And uh, around the same time, Glenn Murray also moved, as I mentioned. And there's some other examples of that. So I, I think we probably will see a USL or NISA player, let's say one or the other. Uh, on uh, on Wrexham, uh, and that that would be a, a really great advertisement for the lower divisions in the United States. Yeah, and if it does happen, I think it's going to be based on their skill, not on their. I mean, the marketing uh, ability or the marketing of that player, like a U.S. player uh, playing in Wrexham. Um, I think it'd be more based on on skill, and it might be an MLS player too. But there's opportunities here, especially with them coming to uh, the U.S. this summer. And I'm sure um, watching a lot of games and uh, you mean basically expanding their their connections and their networks so that they're you mean paying attention to uh, possibilities of players uh, on this side of the shores uh, going over to Europe. Last up, last uh, piece of feedback today is from uh, from Steve Marshall. Steve says, "Hi, Chris and Kartik. Excellent pods lately, and wishing all the best for Kartik and his family." In terms of lower leagues, Kartik's insight and experience is welcome, as always, and it's nice to hear him have more opportunity to flex that lately. It makes me uh, nostalgic for my days in South Florida, lower league soccer. Uh, I've been too busy since moving to Chicagoland, although I did appreciate watching the Chicago Fire versus House in the Open Cup, uh, even just streaming online. In terms of Wrexham, two observations. One, we can't underestimate the impact of Sunderland Till I Die, since Rob uh, McElhenney credits it for his interest in buying a European soccer club in the first place. And, and number two, the impact on lay people is also is also huge. I ended up convincing my mom to watch the show with me, uh, Welcome to Wrexham. Her only previous soccer interest was Ted Lasso, and only sports interest is the White Sox, which she came to later in her life. Uh, she quickly was captivated by the Wrexham story, and we binged the show. While she isn't necessarily going to watch a match on ESPN+, Plus, it still has her following the table and checking uh, the, the results each week. Now, in regards to MLS Season Pass, I'm glad the problematic price point issues were discussed more deeply uh, recently. I did, uh, I did want to mention that I, I was able to get it as a free deal through my wife's T-Mobile account. So there are a few options out there. I will also uh, acknowledge the quality of it. I was reminded recently that other services can sometimes spread themselves a bit too thin, watching an audio and video quality, a video quality mod Hamburg Derby on ESPN Plus uh, was disappointing since the commentary was good. And it was a good game other than the result. 
My final notes, as a fire fan, Kartik's critiques were both hard to hear and spot on. A hard, hard uh, to hear and spot on. I do have a bit of a bone to pick uh, with Chris's description of Arsenal fans as long-suffering. <laughs> the fan base acts like it... it uh, the fan base acts like it since they haven't won the league in a generation, but that comes off as pretty entitled since they've won four FA Cups in the past decade. That said, you've been great. Uh, you've been in great form as well, and I love hearing more episodes, And even if I can barely keep up. <laughs> All right, Steve, great to hear from you and uh, great feedback there. Anything you want to yeah. respond to there, Kartik? Yeah, thanks, Steve, for, for the well wishes, and we miss you down here in South Florida. Uh, Steve, by the way, was a really active board member of our supporters' own club, uh, Himershi FC. Uh, Himershi FC, I should pronounce it correctly. Uh, and uh, uh, we, we really miss him down here. And unfortunately, this is what happens with lower division soccer in places. You, you have one uh, or two people that move away from your community who were really committed, like Steve was, to, to what we were doing down here. And uh, that's like losing 20 or 25 percent of your, your, your uh, really uh, hardcore work Workforce and 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 and, uh, and and committed fan base. So that's uh, it, it's been uh, tough since he moved to Chicago land to keep some of these things going. So many people actually, uh, as, uh, just as an aside, Chris have moved, including you, uh, have moved who were interested in lower division soccer, who I had worked with through the years, have moved away from South Florida since 2019, including Steve, including you, including five or six other really uh, influential people down here. So um, we're kind of at a void right now in the local area but I, I really appreciate hearing from him and, and all the well wishes yeah Steve's point about Sunderland till I die is perfect because uh, that is true so if Sunderland till I die the actual Netflix series did not exist uh, and again it's focused on relegation it's a really fantastic documentary in terms of the series on Netflix that uh, talks it shows you behind the scenes what's happening with the club going down getting relegated if that series did not exist there's a very, very good chance that, that uh, Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds would not have bought Wrexham because it was uh, Humphrey Kerr uh, who was working with uh, Rob McElhenney on a TV a show. Uh, and Rob asked um, Humphrey Kerr, hey, what's going on uh, with the soccer? You keep on watching Liverpool uh, every day during lunch break. Like, what is this? Like, why are you so fascinated with this Liverpool team? You're just like, anyway. So, and then he talked about Liverpool and talked about like just, you mean, promotion, relegation, soccer, and how wonderful all these things were. And then they had a break for a couple of weeks uh, from filming. And um, Humphrey Kerr, uh, the executive director or producer, I think, of um, Welcome to Wrexham, or a, a person, a comedian, writer, script writer, producer, etc told Rob, you have an assignment, go ahead and watch uh, Sunderland Till I Die on Netflix. And as soon as Rob saw that and saw the emotion and what, what promotion relegation was and really understood it, he was hooked. He was like, oh, oh my gosh, I, I need to get in on this. I, I, I want to buy a club. I want to experience that. But on the opposite, try to get a team promoted. What does that mean? So Steve's point about that. So we, yeah, you're right. We, we cannot underestimate the impact of Sunderland Till I Die. Um, unfortunately for Sunderland, it wasn't a good story, but but uh, they're getting better, getting better. They're coming to the United States this summer, uh, and Wrexham is too. And, and these are just two examples of teams that have got promoted and relegated and uh, have a considerable fan base. 
and uh, and I want to mention that there are people also, uh, just to tie a bow on this whole discussion, who tell me you never, you always talk about promotion, you never talk about relegation, right? These are MLS uh, uh, diehards, and I point to that documentary and I say look how captivating that documentary was look at how influential that documentary was it was a documentary about a club being relegated two successive seasons so don't give me this oh you only talk about promotion and you don't you never talk about the relegation part Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was great television, right? It was just like watch, watching that and then feeling for the fans, feeling for the players, seeing how do- disorganized they were on the pitch and just, um, yeah, an incredible true story. A true story, same thing with the Welcome to Wrexham too. All right, listeners, we want your feedback. So definitely get in touch with us, uh, whether you agree or disagree with us or have any questions or observations. Uh, we love to hear from you. It's really uh, what drives this show. And we really appreciate uh, any time you get in touch with us. And, and we try our best to accumulate uh, and aggregate all of those comments into uh, each episode. Uh, we still plan on being back to uh, on, on a podcast cycle of twice a week. So uh, we will be back early next week. But if you want to get in touch with us, get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, There's a few different ways you can do it. You can do it through uh, email, which is web at worldsoccertalk.com. Through the website, worldsoccertalk.com. Click on podcasts and then leave your comment in the latest um, episode thread. Uh, There's facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. Twitter is at World Soccer Talk, and you can always, if you want to, leave a voicemail. Uh, it'll go straight to voicemail. It's five six one two four seven four six two five. Kartik, when can people find you, and where can they find uh, your uh, also uh, uh, podcasts and, and other uh, writings? Yeah, so you can check uh, us out uh, in terms of podcasts and other writings at Beyond the Ninety uh, dot, uh, dot Substack dot com. And uh, uh, also check uh, me out on Twitter at KKFLA737. And if you are on the Substack platform and you're reading Beyond the 90, check out Substack Notes. That's a kind of a cool new social media platform, which seems to be only influencers right now. I'd like to get I, – I hope that they get more normal, regular people on there. Uh, but uh, uh, check that out because uh, I'm posting a lot about uh, soccer and, and various uh, – even soccer memorabilia, that kind of stuff over there. All right. Well, we will be back on Monday to talk about uh, the weekend that was and, and talk about some of the uh, the games we saw and, and, and any any in- interesting uh, insights and observations and uh, heading into another weekend of soccer from around the world. Kartik, what are you going to do and what should the listeners do? Enjoy your football. <laughs> <laughs>